This episode of Climactic was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We wish to pay our respects to leaders past, present, and emerging, and we look to the traditional owners of this land, who lived in harmony with it for tens of thousands of years, as vital partners in returning to a sustainable way of life. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act, but I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the podcast collective by and for Australia's climate community. My name is Mark, and today I'd like to start this episode by saying thank you. Thank you for being with us as we arrive at today's milestone. This marks 100 episodes of Climactic. 75 numbered episodes, 7 in a Victorian state election miniseries, a couple interviews that were too good not to split into two parts, and multiple recordings of live events that otherwise would have been lost to those that didn't attend. Thank you for being with us through it all, or for jumping on when you did. Thank you for telling your friends, telling your family members about the show, for using Climactic as a source of information, a way to learn about groups to get involved with, actions that you can take, or as a source of inspiration, a light when things are feeling a little dark. And speaking for myself, I want to say thank you for enabling a dream of mine to become a reality. As someone who, two short years ago, was an outsider to the climate community, Someone new to Australia, new to Melbourne. Someone who didn't know how to convert their fear and anxiety about the climate crisis into action. Thank you for enabling me to do something positive. Something hopeful. And really importantly, something fun. It's been an amazing journey so far with Climactic, and I'm so excited about where we're going. So thank you, Climactic Collective, for 100 episodes Congratulations, and onward and upward. And now let's get into it. I'm so happy to tell you that this episode is an interview conducted by Bronwyn Gresham, our resident clinical psychologist and all-around ace interviewer. Bronwyn's guest today is Anthony Gleason, a man known to many in the Melbourne climate community and further afield. He's a stalwart. But Brahman does a great introduction to him, so you're going to know a lot more about Anthony soon. But I just wanted to note here up top that this is the second time that Brahman has interviewed Anthony, and that the first interview, unfortunately, didn't get released. See, Brahman originally interviewed Anthony for what was going to be her own show, Feeling the Change. Brahman had this show basically ready to go. The great theme song, she had a logo but it was proving to require just a little more resource than Bronwyn had available to give it. So to our immense luck at Climactic, Bronwyn joined us. And this marks the fourth beautiful interview Bronwyn's delivered on Climactic. 
I mention this because one day, hopefully soon, Bronwyn's able to do feeling the change, that she's fully able to realize this idea for a show and make it a reality. And it's my hope that if or hopefully when that happens, that she'll do it as part of the Climactic Network. See, what originally started as just an interview show that saw me and founding host Rich trade off interviews every other week is now growing into this kind of crazy vision I had two years ago for a podcast that's a platform for the climate community. That's a way to share stories and hear from voices that sometimes get overlooked, to break down silos, to connect across the climate community, and to strengthen it. Because we all know this community needs to be strong if we're going to be successful against the crises we face. So I hope I'm not embarrassing Bronwyn too much by using her as an example, but her story does personify what we're building here at Climactic, a group of storytellers who help each other and help the community to find and develop and nurture the stories that sustain us, empower us, and inspire us in the climate community. So without further ado, here's one of those stories now. From Bronwyn Gresham and Conversation, with Anthony Gleason. Thank you for joining us for episode 75 of Climactic. Welcome, Climactic friends. I'm Bronwyn, and today we are hearing from one of my favourite Melbourne activists, Tony Gleason. Humble and vocal, he acts with courage and great resilience. Now, this was recorded a while back and already has an introduction embedded in. And aside from me wanting to have a more of a contemporary hello, I did want to flag that Tony shares his experience of depression. This is such an important conversation to have as we appreciate just how common depression is and we want to move away from stigma. But it can also resonate with our empathic hearts. It can be really difficult to reflect on and it can simmer up our own old pains. So please take care as you listen. Remember to breathe and send yourself kind words that support you. And if this does in any way become difficult for you, please be proactive. Reach out to a friend, a loved one, or to Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Okay, that's enough from me for now. Enjoy my second introduction. Well, hello, Climactic community. It's Bronwyn Gresham here, and I'll be your host for this episode. Now, as we record this episode at the Kathleen Syme Library, we're actually day two into NAIDOC week. And for those of you outside of Australia, this is a week in July that's held across Australia dedicated to celebrating the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So it's truly a remarkable occasion, especially as Tony and I were chatting just before we had this interview It's especially important as we begin to recognise more and more those important connections between caring for each other, caring for country, with honouring, repairing and learning from history as we grow through this together. So I would like to acknowledge that we are meeting on the lands of our traditional owners and and pay my respect to their elders past and present and just to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And a special welcome to those who are listening in today. 
So today I am so delighted to be sitting down with Tony Gleason. And if you're listening in from the climate change community, especially in Melbourne, it's very, very likely that you've met Tony. In fact, I think he's become quite the legend for his loyalty to the cause, his diverse participation in activities and capacity to be both playful and profoundly serious. No matter where I go, I always bump into him and everyone else seems to know and admire him as well. He has been involved in climate change activities for around four decades and connected with over 10 climate change groups, including Community Radio Geelong and Extinction Rebellion. He spends a lot of his time now engaging in climate actions and spending time educating subjects like nonviolent direct action and just engaging others in conversations wherever he goes. As he says, whoever you talk to, you can find an angle. He is a partner, a grandfather of four. Four and a half. Four and a half. (laughs) Another one on the way. Oh, congratulations. Fantastic. And he's also an ex-tutor. Oh, no, you currently still tutor in English. Do a little bit, yeah. Fantastic. Well, welcome, Tony. Thanks for having me, Bronwyn. It's a pleasure. As always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And, um, well, how about we begin, um, you do a lot of climate actions and how about you tell us a little bit about one that's happened recently that is really something to be very proud of? Yeah, well, I guess that you remember the ones that, that are the most recent in a lot of ways. There's been many, but I guess Friday night is right up there. A group of us dropped a couple of banners at the MCG. The AFL had a, a tribute game to... Emergency workers, they had all all the emergency, the different kinds of emergency workers there, AMBOs and fireys and SES, police, and a lot I didn't even know were emergency services that were there. So we, there were about 11 of us and got to, managed to get a couple of banners into the, into the ground at a time when the lights were out, which was very handy for us. We attached these banners, they're quite big. To the uh, next to each other near the, the main scoreboard, the banner said "Declare a climate emergency," which uh, you know, over seven hundred councils now, local government authorities now have done, Woo. and they're representing one hundred and sixty million people. It's so, so it's good. yeah. And the other one was to acknowledge the emergency workers. So it was something like emergency workers in the climate chaos front lines. Mm. And we acknowledge the AFL for doing that. Mm. But as always, it's what happened in the future that's key. And it seems to us AFL aren't, yeah, they've got a quite a large footprint. So we're just ask, challenging them to look at that mm. and look at their contributions to the chaos mm. that the emergency workers are going to face mm. and are facing. Mm. If we look at what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere right now, just mass chaotic uh, weather and temperature and and all of that. So that's going to be replicated here in our summer. Mm. Uh, we can confidently say that I'm not psychic, but we can confidently yeah, say <laughs> no, we can confidently say that that's going to happen here. Yeah. And these workers, if the AFL truly wants to, is concerned about their trauma, mm. they not just them, but they were the ones that were spruiking. They have to look at what their contributions to that trauma is. Absolutely. So I wasn't aware that I'm, I'm not a football fan, don't judge. So I wasn't aware that the AFL was going to be paying a tribute to emergency frontline service workers. What is the connection there? Why were they, why have they decided to call this up? As uh, well, they, they pride themselves in being progressive and they've come out on issues like racism, gay rights, mm-hmm. discrimination generally. 
And they just felt that it was in this particular game. I'm not sure what the connect. It was Collingwood, yeah. the mighty Maggies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no bias. <laughs> Versus Hawthorne. I'm not sure why it was that particular game, but they often have tribute games and this was the one chosen for the emergency workers. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about um, how one goes about organising something like this or, or, or maybe actually just what it was like for you as someone who's been doing this for such a long time? You know, what what's the key message that you want people to receive when they see a banner like that at an AFL game? Yeah, not just look at it, but but ask the AFL if they're members. There's, I think, Richmond's got a hundred thousand members. Collingwood's got eighty thousand. Hawthorne, I'm not sure, but they've all got lots and lots and lots and lots of members. And if members start asking the, that question, uh, things change. Yeah, you know, the the climate emergency declarations all over the planet didn't just happen. It was ordinary everyday people said. This this needs to happen, yep. and they talked to other people, and they said, "Yeah, I agree. I'll help." Mm. That's how it always starts. So we're we're hoping that a few seeds were planted on Friday night. The media response was was lukewarm, as we expected. There's been a fair bit of coverage on social media, but the media that did cover it, SEN Radio in Melbourne, Sports Entertainment Network, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. They just devote themselves to sport, and Fox Sport. They both wrote articles but with no sort of sympathy at all for the message. Mm. So we're going to be contacting them and just, uh, do you really want to know why we did that? Mm. Is that partly because, and this may be a sweeping statement, but that people, some people in the general public don't, you know, the technique of direct action like that doesn't appeal to them. There's something about it that doesn't. Yeah, possibly. But when you've tried everything else, You've done all the, you're all petitioned out. Yeah. Uh, when you've spoken to your local member, you know, when you've done it all, all the legal methods, maybe you bend the law a bit, you break it. Now, no one was heard on Friday night. Yeah. The people that were sitting near us, uh, we got in early and got the front row. And, but the banners were so long that we needed a number of people beside us, mm-hmm. one side and the other to help tie it. And they did. Wow. Without, without yeah. a... Yeah, no worries. I think we'll that's do that. the, the part that we also need to see, isn't it? Just because we know people in the general community are significantly concerned about the climate yeah. emergency and we know that they're getting frustrated and mm. how nice would it be for, so if you're listening, reach out to us and let us know how much you support this action. We'll put a picture up on, on the show notes yeah. as well because we need more and more people who hadn't thought of this before to say, oh my gosh, you yeah. know, that, that was a powerful message and that, that activated me to look into it. Yeah, exactly. And the, it's not just Extinction Rebellion has got a position now in around about 50 countries. Yep. We've got the school strike for climate has got over 2 million kids that have, that have taken, there's, there's a whole movement. People you know, are on our side. Yeah, there's a general recognition that there is, we don't have to live the way we're living. A better way is possible. We're trashing the planet, but we're trashing each other as well. And it doesn't have to be like that. So more and more people are are being empowered by that and realising that it's a hell of a lot more healthy to be part of the solution than it is in being worrying about the problem. And to do it in a way that's respectful Mm. and non-violent, like you've been yeah. Oh, the the non-violence are given it just it just the whole dynamics change, and it gives opponents reason to. Yeah, to have a go at you from all different directions. But non-violent is no matter how much violence is against you. And like the police 
in all my experience with police, I've done a lot of police liaison now and they've got kids, they've got grandkids and they've got their job to do. And they just say, look, we've got to, yeah, I'm not, don't want to bring uh, bad vibes onto police, but they, if the first thing I say every time I come across them is this is nonviolent. You have nothing to worry about. Mm. We're here to get a message out. Um, no, there's going to be no violence whatsoever uh, and we'll move on. We're not going to be here. If we give them a bit of a guide about how long they're going to be there. And some, some people see that as soft policing, but to me it's, it's if they approach that in an aggressive way, they, I think they realise just how bad that looks. Yeah, there's something much more courageous about compassionate policing as opposed to aggressive policing. Yeah. And it sounds like they're overall quite responsive. In my experience, that. yes. And a, one of the things that has made it so much easier to be an activist is the phone. Like they're ubiquitous and, and if anything, you know, there's a cry goes up all the time. The whole world is watching. Mm. Is this how you want to be presented? Mm. And it's, you know, that, that power that you feel in people. And, and I, I um, spent way too long not feeling that and being shy and not speaking up, you know, seeing bad things happening and not speaking up against them. And it's mm. just, it was a waste of time, but I'm trying to make up for it now. I was just about <laughs> to ask, you know, if we open the book of Tony and we just go back a few chapters, yep. because you and I have spoken about your upbringing a little bit and um, how you grew up on a farm and you're actually quite a shy kid. And how does a shy kid get to where he is now? And, you know, speaking on community radio, training people, you know, doing really public actions. You even ran nude somewhere, didn't you? Oh, that that was, no, that was taken out of context. <laughs> No, partly, partly, <laughs> partly nude. Uh, it was a classic story. We'll have to save that for another time. But yeah. Oh, we just had a message at, at the clocks, the clocks that you're not going to get away with that. Uh, <laughs> the, the clocks at uh, Flinders Street, one night a few of us wrote some letters on our buttocks and dropped our decks and they just happened to have a message associated with <laughs> a, something about no coal, I think oh, it was. Oh, my goodness. And now for Climactic Community Corner. This is a space we make freely available to the climate community to share news, updates, call-outs, to use as a community notice board. Please feel free to make use of this yourself as an individual or a group. Just go to www.climactic.fm slash community corner for information on how to get your message on the show. This message comes from Stopadani's Melbourne chapter who reached out to us to help promote their Stop Adani events for the month of September. These are a series of actions taking place outside the GHD headquarters on Lonsdale Street. GHD Engineering, as many of you may know, has partnered with Adani over the past seven years and is currently working on Adani's rail line as well as elements of their mine site infrastructure, which is in direct contrast to GHD's own sustainability policy. Following on from their GHD Divorce Adani event, they're hoping to inspire individuals and groups to adopt a day and do any sort of action at 180 Lonsdale Street. Take a photo and email it to stopadanimelbs at gmail.com, as well as share it on all their social media channels with hashtag GHDStopAdani and hashtag StopAdani. Ideally, they're aiming for 30 straight days of community outrage outside of Adani's Partner in Crime GHD's headquarters. As a deterrent to other companies, considering getting involved with Adani and to pressure GHD not to continue the hypocrisy 
of contributing to the destruction of our future. If people are interested, they can just take part or get in contact at stopadonimelbs at gmail.com. Our thanks to Stopadani Melbourne for that message and for their continued excellent work. If you've got a message you'd like heard on Climactic Community Corner, please just get in touch at www.climactic.fm slash community corner. Yeah. Did you ever imagine as a young kid that you would be sitting here now talking about all of these things that you've achieved? No, n- not really, but it just, I don't know, if you just open yourself to the universe, these things happen. And I'm really grateful for the parents that I had. They, I grew up with a love of nature and, and a sense that you didn't just exist in a community, you, you uh, did what you can to make it a better place. Mm. And those have, have held me in good stead right through. I think I was was about 16 or 17 and I came under the influence of a Catholic priest and there's lots of bad news stories about them, but I I can't share them. But this, we we were complaining about not having anything to do. We're part of a youth group Mm. and we're complaining about not having anything to do underage. And he just looked at us all and said, what are you going to do about it? Mm. And I think that that's part of, so it, it's, it's a, it a gradu- your brain into yeah. thinking about yeah. a solution. Yeah. And then we, you know, six months later, we had this packed hall with bands from Melbourne and we had people, lawyers in town that were writing contracts for us and people that were, went guarantors for us. And I, th- you know, once that happens, you think, whoa, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. It's such you a can't critical, sit back. Yeah. critical life learning. Isn't yeah. It? You've got some power to influence. Yeah. And then um, I taught for over 30 decades and I, that's uh, 30 decades, 30 years, yeah. three decades. Three decades. <laughs> and yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed that. I probably did, probably worked there uh, for probably three or four years longer than I should. I just, my heart was in climate, being part of the solution to climate and it wasn't, wasn't happening at the school I was in. How did your heart get more into that? Because you grew up on a farm and your yep. parents um, did encourage that connection with nature and then you went into teaching, but over a period of a few years, you kind of felt that, you know, that restlessness or need to kind of do something else. What was, what, do you, do you have a sense of what that was that kicked you into that? Oh, I guess I was in, in, in the school I was at, I was probably offsetting everyone's emissions. Right. <laughs> you know, Tony will do this, Tony will do that. Mm. And it's just, it's a fair weight to carry. Mm. And I was having... You know, I had discussions with head teachers saying that they thought it wasn't my job as an English teacher to talk about climate change. Mm. And I Why thought... Why did you want to talk about climate change so well, much? Like English, it's free range as an English teacher. I, to me, it didn't matter whether kids knew what a, the difference between... Like right now, it didn't matter if they knew the difference between a noun or a verb. But I think it was crucial that they knew the sort of world that was developing around them mm-hmm. and that they had a capacity to to mould that world. Mm. And, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that. Mm. And it just got, I guess over time, it just got more than I could... There were, I just saw there was better ways of of being a climate activist than, mm. than doing it in the, in the classroom. Mm. Yeah. And I've seen, I've come across kids sent, that I taught since then have said that they've now, because of the contact with the mm. classes that I ran and student leadership stuff that I did, that mm. that was an awakening for them. So, you know, we all stay 
Paul Murkovich awaken me or mum and dad. Uh, and then it goes on. We all stand on someone's shoulders. Yeah. All of us. And I'm just going to be really naive here and ask Paul Murkovich. He's the, the priest. Great. The Catholic okay. priest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was someone that I should know. No, no. I thought, no. oh. No, no one probably. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of people would in the... In different uh, parts of rural Victoria, would okay. know Paul. He's yeah, yeah he's he, he's influenced lots of lives. Yeah, as yeah. have you. Yeah, well, um, yeah, well, that's well. I think we've all got a bit of a responsibility in the front. Yeah, we absolutely do. Yeah. And I'm um, thinking about you know the first line responders like firefighters, police, ambulance, and and the very important impact of those events on their mental health. And we know there are documents out there outlining the mental health impacts of that, the nature of that work. And then we've got that happening in the context of climate change and more mm. severe and frequent extreme weather events and disruption due to climate change. So mental health, obviously, from my perspective, being a clinical psychologist is is really being highlighted. And we also see you and I, we meet a lot of people in the climate change community and you and I both have felt what it's like to try to come to terms with climate change, both from an extreme weather perspective, but also from, you know, what our future holds to the um, drivers of climate change and trying mm. to, to change some of those things. And it can really be, you know, there's so many things that can get us down that can make mm. us feel quite powerless and despairing and overwhelmed. And I just wondered if you would mind sharing with the community out there a time when you, when you did feel quite depressed or down about climate change and what was contributing to that at the time. Yeah, well, yes, uh it's, I think it's an important discussion for two reasons. One, to, to there's a, a still a stigma around uh, mental illness, and I, I live with that. I live with depression, and I guess it it probably it it comes from a trip I took to northern India. And there's a group of young people there. Once you were 25, you had to move on to another group, but they were working flat out every day in their communities to reduce their carbon emissions. Right. And sorry, right. how old were you at the time when you um, went to? Did this well, work? It was early this early this in the 21st century. So I think 2000, and f so about 15, 16 years ago. So okay. around 50, yep. probably. Yeah. So yeah. So I went there. These guys were reduced, and girls were reducing their carbon emissions. So they they were encouraging people to build a certain way. So they it was in the Himalaya. So in certain times of the year, it gets pretty cold there. Yeah. But they were passive energy houses, and I just I. Coming from the country with the greatest per capita emissions of carbon, mm -hmm. I just couldn't believe because they didn't virtually had no carbon footprint. Mm. And I said to them, why are you doing this? And just said, pointed up to a glacier and said, well, when that goes, we have to go. Wow. And that kind of brought, I was a climate activist before that, but I think that's kind of seared onto my consciousness just climate justice mm. and how these guys who contributed the least and it's not just them, but it's also the Bangladeshis, Pacific Islanders. Mm. They've all contributed the least, but they're the ones that are suffering mm. the most and first. And they're so and much more directly impacted yeah. by the changes of the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. We are too. Of course, we rely on the Mother yeah. Earth to provide to us in the city and rural, but it's yeah. really much more frontline. Yeah. And if you push that out. You push that out into a larger picture. Yeah. The Himalayas are the, the freshwater source for, uh, I think it's 2 billion people. Mm. 
as it goes to, as it flows down into the into the uh, the sea at uh, in Bangladesh. So there's a number of major rivers, oil rivers that mm. land people rely on that. So when they run out of water up the top, mm. it it just flows down to the so others. Did your mind just explode at that oh, point? Yeah. Just how unfair it all was mm. and just admiration for these guys, the foresight that they had. Mm. And I came home and I, I don't know about other people, but I, I've, I haven't travelled overseas a lot, but every time I come home, it's a really big adjustment. Mm. And I came getting back into school and the greatest worry that kids seemed to have was what colour iPad they had or the shoes and, and that really did my head in. Yeah, I thought, geez, you know, you've got no... Yeah, okay, we'll leave it at that. But yeah. it just, yeah, in terms of the con- the contrast between yeah. priorities in life, and it's not it's not yeah. to blame children here yeah. for having those things at the front of their mind because they're not faced directly yeah. with you know it's it's not, I can I can sense that you know it's you're a very understanding person, but it's just what was it like dealing? Because I feel like a oh, lot well, of I people didn't. struggle with this yeah. contrast. I like, didn't I didn't deal with it at all. Uh, it's it's interesting. I'm just thinking then that their kids are now school striking. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't. There was a whole lot of turmoil going on in my life at the time, mm. just adjusting to all this. Mm. And I ended up, you know, a couple of years later, I ended up in a psychiatric institute for, mm. to protect myself mm. from myself mm. for three, two or three months, I think it was. Mm. And that was kind of the, the, it was the best thing that ever happened to me mm. in a lot of ways. And it took me from worrying about the problem to becoming just a determined passion to be part of the solutions. And I guess I've ever since then, that's what I've done. Was there something about that experience that reconnected you to that part? You know, when you were 16, you were saying how that part of you was ignited, that you did have the power and you could influence. Yeah. If you put your mind to yep. proactive action, then that kind of can slip away when we're feeling depressed. Was there something about... Oh, yeah. Well, it was just how I was talking to myself, that self-talk, just a lot of classes they they ran. You weren't just sitting in, in bed. They kind of, you weren't forced to get up if you didn't feel like it, but it got easier and easier to get up every okay. day. And you'd go for walks around and, and just experience the nature. Mm. Uh, it was in, in Geelong, mm. but, you know, you go past Gar and it was kind of spring, so there's lots of flowers around mm. and that just Beautiful. All, all, I guess that all, that all nourished me. Instead of nothing, as people that have experienced depression, it, it's different for everyone, but it's mm. for me and for I think for most it was completely debilitating mm. and yeah it just but it was where I needed to be to wake up to myself I guess yeah, and I want a life when um what's the, the saying that when you need a lesson it come the teacher comes along right yes yeah well and, and, and the inner teacher comes yeah, along too yeah and I just gained well maybe it was wisdom or just mm. yeah I just see the hopelessness of where I was mm. and that it didn't have to be like that so mm. it's all that thing about it's the shit's going to happen no matter what we, it's how we respond to it. That's the critical yeah. factor. Yeah. And I think I learned how to handle the shit yeah. when, when I, it was like a, uh, a forced retreat Yeah. in so many ways. It was, a, it was a, in a lot of ways a spiritual experience for me as well. Just yeah. reflect on, on what was important. And I wear this blue band here, tackling depression, yep. anxiety, beyond blue. Beautiful. And it's, it's. One of the thing, mantra I've got is it will pass. Yeah. And no matter how bad I felt, I, that was one of the tools I guess I picked up there was mm. that the sun always came up the next day mm. and 
then, so you get up and you face, you just get a little bit of strength each day. Yep. And there's a bit of forcing yourself as well. And I had a, a brother who um, was so far apart politically, but he just, he uh, displayed what's called tough love, I guess. Mm. And, but with compassion, if you can do that. Of course and you that, can. You can be uh, fiercely compassionate. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, and that, yeah, that certainly helped. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we just need the firmness in mm. that, in the love. Yeah. And it's not punishing tough love. It's yeah. activating tough love. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I tended to wallow a bit mm. in what was going on. It's so what easy I was experiencing. too though, isn't yeah. it? And I, I, I've been there before as well. And I have moments even in the day of wallowing yeah. and getting, getting caught up there. And I think what I'm hearing is one of the things that you've found keeps keeps you nourished is kind of learning to redirect what you're paying attention to, you know, yeah. noticing that we're wallowing or that we're, we're kind of creating that inner world. We've already got it tough enough with climate change yeah. and then to wallow in it's like another layer of suffering. But if we can learn to recognise when we're in that space and find a way of shifting or moving, then that's yeah. one way to get through the day. One yeah. of my favourite songs is A Shapeshifter, Brand New Day. So okay. I'm a big fan also of thinking yeah. about, you know, the cycle of the day, just like the cycle of life. And, yeah. um, and, and such, just being mindful of things that are going on and not just drifting along. Absolutely. Just, yeah, just of smells, just of our senses and how we interact with yeah, the, the planet. The world basically. around us. Yeah. I know. I know. Like yeah. this morning, Tony and I, we were sitting in the sun. Yes. And the cool, fresh Melbourne morning, that, that sunshine was just yeah. delightful. Hey, um, we're having a really important conversation and I'm also conscious that our time is almost up in the in the library and I wish we could, I feel like we could get lost in conversation for hours mm. and it would be very easy to do. I'm wondering if we could perhaps finish on some of the things that you particularly do, you've been involved for so long. Are there any kind of top tips or things that you could speak to what you do to nourish yourself or to be able to stay involved in climate change action? All of the, the things that have been mentioned that nourish me, that having tricks mm. that a simple thing like it will pass, mm. just saying that when we can talk, we can say pretty horrible things to each other. Mm. And I think someone suggested that I start say, well, do you talk to a friend like that? Mm. And if you wouldn't, well, okay, well, why are you talking to yourself like that? Mm. And it will pass is mm. another one. Nurturing, I make sure that I find time to see good quality movies, thought-provoking movies. Yep. Garden, I love growing things. But, yeah, most of my life at the moment is devoted to climate change and I get a real buzz out of that. Yesterday there were, we did a non-violent direct action training. There were about 24, 25 people there in Kensington and just watching them, just the, just that dawn of their uh, awareness of what their power and, and what collective power was capable of. Yep. That's, yeah, that, that's sure it, it's definitely getting worth getting out of bed for for that to happen. Absolutely. And I do I guess I'm an educator essentially and I like I really like doing that. Yep. Yeah. So there's this kind of this inner piece of work out, you know, being conscious that the way we talk to ourselves actually has a huge impact on how we feel and creating yeah. a, a kind, friendly inner dialogue. But also something that's really comes out whenever I talk to you is this feeling inspired by others mm. and um, realising that we're not doing this by ourselves, that we're part of what you've called an emerging culture. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, Friday night there were we, ages, I was probably the oldest, but there was a 16-year-old. And they, I love that, like that's three generations working mm. together mm. for kind of a common goal. And that's, mm. I get such a buzz out of that. And it's, it's very rare that it happens. Mm. And on Friday night and in any action, you know that someone's got your back. Mm. And that's, that's kind of rare in our society today. I think mm. traditional cultures thrived on that. Mm. But we've lost in our, our cult of individualism, we mm. kind of lost that. So that, We're rediscovering a, it maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, it's it, just if I, we've got time for one last one. Go for it. Yesterday there was one guy who at the training said, I don't really have any friends. I, I suffer with depression. You know, I feel lonely and a lot of things like that. And I just pulled him up and I said, stuck my hand up and I said, how many others in this group have experienced depression? Mm. And I'd say over half have. And you should have seen the look on his face. It was just like, wow. Wow. Once you realise that, yeah, absolutely. And we know that, you know, almost one in two Australians will experience something like anxiety or depression over their lifetime. Yeah. Almost half. Yeah. And he wasn't, he, he, you can see his whole mindset changed. Yeah. That's because such a of that, just moment, a lift, Tony. a lift, yeah. it was lifted off his shoulders. Yeah. But how wonderful, what a wonderful contribution that you made with your, your teaching role model mentor hat on to be able to give that person the opportunity to see something beyond himself, that mm. he's not alone. Yeah. Well, time will tell, uh, but yeah, for that moment, he, he, it was gold. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. That's such a lovely story to end on. And Tony, if people want to listen to you or connect with you, they can listen to you through Community Radio Geelong. Yep. What out? What's a sustainable hour? Yeah, that's the name of the show. But it's uh, I guess to get in touch, we've I think we're up to two hundred and seventy something shows. Fantastic. So it's www.climatesafety.info and then forward slash the sustainable hour. Beautiful. We'll put that link in the show notes yeah. as well. It's such a delight. I wholeheartedly thank you so much for your time this morning, Tony. No, and pleasure. And I look forward to having you on the program again. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> pleasure. Thanks. Wow. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Tony as much as I did. This conversation was packed with psychological gems. And here I want to reflect on three that I've picked up on around self-care. The first was to be inspired by others rather than comparing ourselves to others. Tony spoke of some of his role models and this important concept that we all stand on someone's shoulders. The second message was one of the importance of experience. This phrase comes to mind, you have to experience what you want to grow. And for Tony, he had an early experience of empowerment And he calls this up in his memory again and again to remind himself that people, including him, can make a difference. And the third message is to reach out, to connect, to remember that we do have each other's backs and we're not alone. Thanks again for listening. And if you're interested in following up on any of this story, please head to our show notes. Until next time, see you later. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective. 
a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.